Well, the PK-85 is rife with talented teams descending on Portland, Oregon over Thanksgiving weekend. And while the Zags drew a weaker opponent to kick the event off, that may actually be for the best. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you news and updates through another season of Gonzaga basketball. Today's holiday episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts, folks. A sincere happy Thanksgiving to all of you, Locked On Zags community. It is very much appreciated, and we'll get into some more thanks later in the episode uh, to have you listening on a holiday or around a holiday, depending on when you are listening. But, uh, of course, Feast Week and Thanksgiving is a college basketball-centric holiday, so there's no rest for the Locked On Zags or Locked On College Basketball podcast. We are rolling through this week talking feast week games of course for Gonzaga they are playing very late that tryptophan is going to have set in for many folks who are trying to watch a 9 30 tip p.m on the west coast of course later for anybody living on the east side of the country it should be a good game should be a fun one uh, again Portland State not a super high quality opponent before we talk about them I do want to talk about the other games that are happening on Thanksgiving for folks who maybe have the ability to have a tv on in the background or don't have many plans for Thanksgiving, or their plans include watching college basketball all day. The PK-85 is all you need to do. You don't even need to watch any other games, although there are plenty of good ones going on. Starts 10 a.m. Pacific time. North Carolina, the Tar Heels, the defending runner-ups from last season, are playing, of course, Shantae Leggins and the Portland Pilots. The PK-85 has a first game 10 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day. This should be a fun game, I think, obviously, you're going to expect North Carolina to win. North Carolina has not looked great, to be quite honest, in their first couple of games. They haven't lost yet, but they've played down to some of their opponents, and Shantae Leggins and the Pilots could stun the world here. I wouldn't be absolutely floored. There have been bigger upsets this season, quite a few of them, but this would be a pretty big one. Uh, Franchise program-altering win for the Pilots and, and a devastating loss. For the Tar Heels, I'll be checking that one out. The next game, Iowa State versus Villanova. Uh, Villanova is probably going to take that one. I think that'll be a fun one too. Nova also going through a coaching change with Kyle Neptune taking over for Jay Wright, of course, after he kind of somewhat surprisingly retired this offseason. Nova hasn't quite looked like themselves yet, adjusting to new personnel, new coach. They've had some injuries. Cam Whitmore, their star freshman, has been out. Uh, But I think that Nova is still going to take that one. Then you get UConn versus Oregon. That's going to be my first upset pick of the group. UConn is ranked right now. Oregon began the season ranked, has suffered some fairly ugly losses early in the year. Uh, It's a borderline home game for them. I think they're going to be juiced up. I think they have the size in the front court with Kel Elwer, Nafale Dante, Nate Biddle to potentially do some damage to UConn and, and maybe secure a victory there. And then the final game before Gonzaga plays is another game that looks a lot more fun now than it might have looked early in the season, and that is Alabama versus Michigan State. Can Alabama's guards defeat Michigan State's really, really excellent front court? A good battle of coaching minds between Nate Oates and Tom Izzo as 
well. Wanted to kind of preview a few of the games that are going to be going down on Thursday before the Zags play. The Zags, of course, play the Portland State Vikings at 9.30 p.m. on Thursday. I remember when this first came out, there was kind of some consternation, some frustration amongst the fan base of Gonzaga getting pretty clearly the worst draw just in terms of opponent caliber, opponent weight how much people are aware of portland state it's one of those it's kind of one of those teams that people jokingly throw out as a team that gonzaga gets to play in conference and obviously portland state is not a team that gonzaga plays in conference but it is unfortunate that that is kind of the draw here Uh, the other option would have been oregon state frankly i mean portland state beat oregon state earlier if one of their two wins was against oregon state you could make a legitimate argument that portland state is better than oregon state so i don't think that this is necessarily that dramatically bad of a draw also Gonzaga has already played three ridiculously hard games. Michigan State is now a top 20 team in the country. Texas is a top five team in the country. Kentucky has dropped, but they are still a top five, I believe a top 20. They're 16th now uh, in the AP poll. So they've played three top 20 teams, one top five team already this season. I think it's fine for them to start a three-game stretch where the first team is, is not so good. I think that's fine. I think it's okay for Gonzaga. I think it gives us an opportunity to see some players in different roles in different situations that we haven't really gotten to see them in very much. A lot of the concern we've seen early about this team is stuff that I think we don't normally see from, from past Gonzaga teams in part because maybe those issues just weren't there on past teams, but also because most previous Gonzaga teams haven't played a schedule like this four games in the new players who are adjusting to this system. It looks like it's taking them a little bit longer in part because they haven't had two or three warm-up games. They haven't played two SWAC teams. They haven't played the, the Bellardin Bellarmines and the Northern Arizonas and, and Montana and those kind of teams. They are playing some of those teams later in the year and including this game against Portland state, which I think is a nice opportunity for the Zags to, to get some of those guys some run. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in the second segment. Really. I just want to talk a little bit about the Vikings here, two and two on the season for Portland state. Again, their wins are evergreen state, not a division one program and Oregon state, not only a division one program, but a power five team. Uh, one of the worst power five teams uh, in all of college basketball right now, a 13 point win for the Vikings over the Oregon state Beavers, 79 to 66. In that one, the Vikings also have two losses. The two losses are also to local area schools, although not Power 5 programs. One of their losses was in the season opener to Portland. Shantae Leggins' squad there. Their other loss was to Chris Victor and the Seattle U Redhawks. So two losses to quality mid-major programs, one win over in, I believe, NAIA school, and one win over a Power 5 program in Oregon State. Currently, they are 260th. Per, per Ken Palm, excuse me, uh, pretty similar offensively and defensively, 276th in offense, 241st in defense. So makes sense. They're kind of right in the middle there. Uh, one note, fun note about them that I think will show up in this game is they are 24th in the country in tempo. They are a top 25 teams in terms of getting out in transition. Gonzaga, the transition game hasn't really been a, a huge part of what they've done so far this season in part because of the matchups they have been involved in. This could be a good opportunity for both these teams to be gunning and running and moving. Uh, could be a pretty high-scoring affair. Uh, for the Vikings, as you would expect from a lot of mid-major programs uh, at this level in the big sky, they don't have a lot of size. They only have one rotation player who's over six foot six. Uh, so I, the size is going to be a big factor, obviously. If Gonzaga is out, able to get out and transition, that's going to be an easy way to pile on the points. But even if they can't, even if they're running the half-court sets more often than not, I have a hard time imagining a team 
like Portland State really being able to do, whether they're sending double teams or not, which they likely will send double teams at Drew Timmy. I don't expect it to be something that causes it's not going to cause Gonzaga any more issues than Michigan state or Texas did. Let's put it that way. Or even Kentucky, although they didn't play a particularly great game defensively. I think that uh, this is going to be an easier match for the Zags on that end of the floor. A couple nice transfers for the Vikings to keep an eye on. Jarrell Satterfield comes from UTEP. He's averaging 17 and a half points per game. He dropped 26 on the Beavers in that game. He's also averaging six boards and an assist. He also attempts nine threes per game so far this season. He is a absolute chucker. He's only shooting 31 and a half percent. So not making them at a super high rate, but if you see somebody out there just hacking up threes, it's probably Jarrell Satterfield. Other player that's uh, worth noting for, for Portland state is Montana transfer. Cameron Parker transferred within the big sky, came back home. He's from Beaverton, my hometown shout out Cameron Parker now playing for the Portland state Vikings, averaging 14 points, five and a half assists. He is kind of there. The guy who runs the show for the Vikings. We're going to come back in the second segment. We're take a closer look at this Gonzaga versus Portland state game. Specifically, we're not really expecting to have to label keys for a victory, but I do want to talk about what I will be watching for specifically, what kind of things we're, we're going to see from the bench and maybe some rotational things that might show up in this game that we haven't otherwise seen in Gonzaga's other games this season. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about bet online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football and the NFL remain in the thick of their seasons. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, Andy Patton here, still Locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked on Zags your first listen of the day, especially here on Thanksgiving. I really appreciate all of the patronage, all of the support from the listener base. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, so we've been doing kind of my five keys to victory has been a theme that we've seen develop in the podcast for the last couple of games. Most of the games this season, I think it's less going to be a keys to victory, more of a here are things I will be watching for, things that I will be talking about on the podcast. Uh, In this game, I don't think there are five specific things Gonzaga needs to do to win. They just play their game. Their talent level should rise to the top and they should secure themselves a victory here. But in a game like this against a sub 250 Ken Palm opponent when they have a big game the next day and a potentially much bigger game on Sunday when they're already a bit gassed from the Texas game and the Kentucky game. And of course they got the Baylor game coming up after that. There's a lot of things I'm really interested to see how Mark few, how the coaching staff, how the players kind of play their cards in this one. The first thing I think I've talked about it every episode this week, and I will continue to talk about it because I think it is an important storyline going forward this season is the backup big man minutes right now 
for every game this season, the playing time situation has been Efton Reed coming off the bench kind of as the first big man. Anton Watson is starting. Julian Strother is starting at the three. Uh, occasionally, we'll see Watson come out of the game. Strother move to the four. But when they actually bring in a big man, as opposed to bringing in Hunter Salas off the bench as a guard, the first big man who comes in the game has been Efton Reed. But Efton Reed hasn't played all that well. It's not a secret. It's not a surprise. Uh, it's not some damning thing that is going to be a, a big problem for the Zags going forward. I don't think that he's like somebody that we should be writing off or anything like that. I think he's actually got a ton of very great potential still, and you can see evidence of it in the playing time we've seen from him. But right now, it's not working. He hasn't played particularly well. He's turning the ball over offensively. He's committing offensive fouls. He's committing defensive fouls. Uh, he's taking bad shots. The chemistry between him and Drew Timmy just isn't there yet. Playing those two guys together is a problem on both ends of the floor. Uh, the emergence of Anton Watson as a legitimate playmaker has been the kind of story that really negates the need for Efton Reed to play significant minutes. Uh, but in the last game, in the Kentucky game, Reed's stretch of playing time in the first half was pretty ugly, quite frankly, and he was pulled quickly after that for Ben Gregg. I think that might be the move going forward. I think there's a real chance that Ben Gregg ends up soaking up those minutes that were previously going to Efton Reed. I don't think that that's going to be a long-term thing necessarily. It may persist throughout the year, but I don't think that either guy is going to get a dramatic amount of playing time, but this is the kind of game where we could see both of them. And I think that that's, that's really what I'm going to be watching for is do we get opportunities to see both Efton Reed and Ben Gregg? Do we see them both get opportunities to play with Drew Timmy? Do we get to see opportunities of them playing together with each other, which is something we haven't really seen yet, but it's pretty possible borderline likely that that's a pairing that Gonzaga relies upon in the next couple of years when Drew Timmy's out the door, when Anton Watson's out the door, when Julian Strother's out the door. Obviously, Gonzaga will add other players via the transfer portal, add other players via uh, recruiting, but Ben Gregg and, and Evan Reed could end up playing significant minutes together in future Gonzaga seasons. Games like this, when you want Drew Timmy to get more of a break, when you want Anton Watson to get more of a break, when you want Julian Strother to get more of a break, getting Ben Gregg and Efton Reed minutes together for the last five, six, eight minutes of this game, if it's well in hand, that would be fantastic. It's a great opportunity to get those guys rest before they play Purdue or Xavier on Friday. It's also a good opportunity to kind of see what you got with some of those young bigs. Of course, Caden Perry, if he's healthy, Braden Huff, if the team decides not to redshirt him, those two guys would also be players that could factor into this conversation as well. I'm choosing to focus on Greg and Reed because I think it is far more likely that they will be the ones playing significant minutes uh, in this game and also this season. Next up, the number two thing I'll be watching for is uh, will the real Malachi Smith please stand up? Because at this point, we just haven't seen that guy outside of the North Florida game. The first game of the season, he had 15.6 assists coming off the bench, 30 minutes for him in that game. That was a, a very nice performance for Malachi Smith. But against Michigan State, against Texas, against Kentucky, we just haven't seen much from him. And he hasn't been particularly bad. Uh, it's not that he's turning the ball over a bunch and making a bunch of bad plays or bad shots or anything like that. He's just not doing very much. He's not taking a lot of shots. He's not being particularly aggressive uh, in terms of getting to the rim. He's not looking for his outside shot all that much. Uh, he's not being a playmaker. Defensively, he's been fine. I don't think that he's been elite on that end of the floor, but he's been fine. Like he, he can play on that end of the floor. And I think against WCC competition against some of the other, you know, lesser non-conference games for the Zags. I think we'll see his defense really tick up in, in a way. But that's kind of the, the big question for Malachi Smith is, can can he play at this level? And I, I don't think that the answer is no, 
but he hasn't proven that the answer is yes either. And I guess that's what we want to see. Like he can go out and drop 25 points off the bench against Portland state. And that's going to make me feel a lot better about what he can do against those, those power five programs. But I still would like to see him do it against the power five programs. Like I want to see, or, or good WCC programs. He doesn't need to be a stud against, you know, every non-conference powerhouse that Gonzaga plays, but it sure would be nice to know that, Hey, if we need him to score 18 off the bench against Santa Clara, that he's going to be able to do that. And right now we just haven't quite seen him really find his groove offensively. It's similar to the situation with Efton Reed, where Gonzaga fans are so used to transfers coming in and immediately acclimating to the system. And that's a a huge credit to Gonzaga's coaching staff for typically having guys ready to acclimate to the system right away. But it's also a, a product of Gonzaga's schedule being so challenging early in the year. Michigan state is the worst of the three big programs that they've played so far. Uh, and a, that team was unranked at the time, but is now clearly not an unranked team. And beyond that, Michigan state, that game was also played on an aircraft carrier. And so the outside shot was kind of not really a factor, which is a big part of Malachi Smith's success. So seeing him have a nice game here will give me a little bit more optimism. I'd still rather see him do it against some of those other prolific programs that Gonzaga is going to play, but the Zags really need him to be a high level scorer off the bench this season. If they want to reach their threat, their higher threshold for, for their uh, ceiling this season, which, you know, final four national championship, uh, Malachi Smith needs to be that guy. So far, we haven't seen that. Next up, it's been a question for every single one of Gonzaga's games. It comes up again here. Can the Zags get out in transition? I have a hard time imagining that Portland State is going to stop Gonzaga in transition. We saw Michigan State was very effective at it. Texas, very effective at it. Kentucky, actually fairly effective at it too, although part of that was Gonzaga was making a concerted effort to really, really crash the defensive boards aggressively. They were not trying to let Oscar Shibwe just grab two or three or four offensive rebounds in a row before scoring. So you would see a lot of plays where three Zags were aggressively crashing the boards. So they were kind of making an effort a conscious effort to not prioritize getting out in transition for them. The priority was getting the defensive boards and then they would set up their half court offense. After that coach Calipari didn't seem to make a very concerted effort to stop Gonzaga in the half court offense. So they just never really tried to, to worry that much about getting out in transition because they just didn't need to, but transition offense has been a big part of Gonzaga's success over the last half decade. Portland state's a team that likes to run that probably puts them in a situation where they're more likely to turn the basketball over this could be a, a back and forth, run and gun type affair. And just from from a the pleasure of watching Gonzaga, getting out in transition is just more enjoyable. It's a more fun brand of basketball, but also it's the kind of thing that they need to be able to do to go on runs, to put teams away early, to potentially rest some of their starters, to get free, easy points. Not every point needs to be an absolute grind from Drew Timmy. Uh, he gets the hard-earned buckets a lot of the time, and it's nice when Rasir Bolton can steal the ball and take four dribbles and score on his own without anybody else having to do anything. And so getting out in transition and scoring some buckets that way is a nice way to to kind of help Gonzaga's players get a little bit more comfortable in the new system and also you know, put a team away early so they can rest some of their guys. A couple more before we get into the final segment of the show. Uh, is this the Dominic Harris breakout game? That's a big thing I'll be watching for too. Dom has been eased back into action fairly slowly since coming back from a significant foot injury that cost him all of last season. He did not participate in craziness in the kennel back on October 8th, was said to be participating in full contact practice right after that. So presumably he's been a full contact practice contributor for the last five, six weeks. Uh, We've seen him in a couple of games, played some garbage time minutes against Texas. 
but we haven't seen much from him yet. And I don't think that's an indictment on him as a skilled player. I think he is skilled. He does provide that outside shooting, that the perimeter defense, some of those skills that Gonzaga really needs, but he hasn't worked his way into the rotation yet. Some of that is likely injury related. Some of that is likely the caliber of opponents. Gonzaga tightened it way up to a seven man rotation for most of the time against Kentucky, Texas, and Michigan state. So there just wasn't a lot of opportunities for guys further down on the depth chart to get that playing time. This is a game where those opportunities are there. If Dom is feeling healthy, if he's got his legs underneath him, if he's able to go full speed, which again, there's no indication that he's not, this could be a good opportunity for him to get eight, 10, 12, 15 minutes of playing time and really show us that, that outside shooting, that defense, that those kind of abilities that we know are there. We just haven't gotten to see because of the injury history for him in the past. And then finally, of course, the one thing we always love to watch for in these kind of games is the walk-ons. Specifically, the biggest walk-on that has, has been enjoyable to watch this season has been Colby Brooks, who sat the last couple of years, uh, but was a high-level AAU player, a good high school basketball player in the L.A. area, uh, a guy who could probably contribute on other Division I teams quite easily. He played well in the North Florida game in the few opportunities that he got. Uh, in a blowout situation here, it might be after midnight or it might be pretty close to, to midnight. He could get himself an opportunity to go out there and, and have some fun at the Moda Center. Perhaps Abe Eagle, who has yet to play in a Gonzaga game but committed the same time as Colby Brooks, or I should say joined the roster at the same time as Colby Brooks. Maybe Abe Eagle will get some playing time for the first time. Maybe we'll see Joe Few, who hasn't played yet this season. I know he was nursing a broken arm um, from sliding into home plate during a uh, uh, intramural softball game, which is a hilarious little story there. Uh, but perhaps we'll see him a little bit. Uh, and then there's Braden Huff. I don't, Braden Huff's not a walk-on, obviously. I, I think he's probably redshirting at this point. But we'll see. If, if he's not redshirting, this would be a, a chance for him to get out there, stretch his legs, get some reps, get some playing time. Uh, again, I'm not including Caden Perry because I assume that he is still hurt, but either of those guys could conceivably be options to play in this game as well, although I would be fairly surprised if we saw either of them. All right, today is Thanksgiving for many of you listening at home. I want to take the final segment today to discuss four Zag-related things that I personally am very thankful for as we prepare for our turkey feast and, of course, our Gonzaga basketball watching experience. All right, third segment. Welcome back. Andy Patton here, Locked on Zags. Feeling thankful, feeling appreciative here as we approach as we approach the Gonzaga game, as we are here on Thanksgiving, celebrating the holiday, uh, I picked four things that I'm thankful for that I kind of wanted to discuss, all Gonzaga-related things, of course. Uh, the first thing is what I talked about last week on this same Thursday podcast, which was, of course, the reaction episode after Gonzaga got their bell rung by Texas. Uh, I'm thankful for true road games. And this is perhaps a, a interesting thing to lead with because of all of the things that have happened to Gonzaga in the last year, uh, the true road game is the thing that kind of that kind of made everybody the maddest. Uh, not in the sense that people were mad they were playing a true road game, but they got smacked real bad at the Moody Center. It was a, a, a dynamic college basketball experience. That place was packed to the brim. New new facility fan base was incredible. That place was popping off, and the Zags got ran out of the gym. Not thankful the Zags got ran out of the gym, but I think environments like that are so critical for the sport, so critical for the teams playing in them, the teams that won and the teams that lost. For starters, this game is huge for Texas. I'm not going to pretend I have a legitimately vested interest in Texas basketball, but college basketball is better when fans are passionate about their team. Texas Longhorns fans are passionate sports fans. Now they care more about their basketball team. 
because they went and beat Gonzaga, because that place had 13,000 people going nuts inside of it. That is good for college basketball. It's good for Texas. It's good for the game. It's not great for Gonzaga at the moment, but you know what was good for Gonzaga? They got to host Texas the year before that. And you know what they did to Texas the year before that? Pretty much the same dang thing that Chris Beard's squad gave them back this year. I think true road games are are critical. And this isn't me taking a shot at Calipari and the Spokane thing. Like the Spokane arena was awesome. That game went great. I don't, I don't have any problem with that. I obviously uh, am wearing a shirt that says defend the kennel for a reason. And I think that game should take place on true road and true home games are vital vital and important to college basketball. It doesn't necessarily mean that I think that neutral site home and homes like that are, are bad, but I want to see more of these games. Part of it is that teams are, are unwilling to come to Spokane and play at the kennel. Hopefully we see more of that. We've seen Michigan state do it. We've seen Texas do it. We've seen North Carolina do it. I'm hopeful that more teams will start to be willing to do that because true road games are one of the most fun parts of college basketball. I'm also thankful for playmaking Anton Watson. Yeah, folks, you knew we were going to get an Anton Watson one in here. I have championed the and banged the drum for Anton Watson for years and years. One of the things we'd never really seen from him was him developing as a legitimate playmaker, as an offensive weapon. Uh, he's always been a great defensive player and a guy who can finish well around the rim. But even early in his college career, he wasn't even being asked to make the high-low pass. Like that, they, they, Gonzaga wasn't asking him to do that because he didn't have that skill set early in his career. Now, a couple years later, we're in a position in the Texas game where the only player who could make the entry pass was Anton Watson. It went from him being the guy who couldn't do it on the team to now he's the only guy who can. That's a cool development. It's not a great development necessarily for Gonzaga. They need to work on, on some of their other guards being able to handle that physicality and still make those entry passes. But for the Zags to have a guy like Anton Watson, who's grown in the program, who's developed, who's gotten significantly better. He's, he's, he's grown in his skill sets. He's more of a creator. He's more of a, he can put the ball on the deck, go to the rim. He's a better passer. He's a more skilled offensive player. All of these things happen somewhat quietly behind the scenes. And because his points per game didn't jump, because his outside shooting didn't jump, I think it it happened quietly. It didn't get a lot of conversation. It didn't get talked about all that much. But for people who were criticizing Anton Watson for, hey, this is a guy who doesn't play well in big games and he's only useful in, you know, in games against bad teams or whatever, he was the best player on the floor in a game against Oscar Sheway. Like he, he looked better than him for large chunks of that game. Didn't outscore him, didn't outrebound him. But if you watch that basketball game, he looked as good or better than him for large chunks of that game. That's an incredible development for the Zags and one that that lends itself to being a huge part of their success this season. Two more things here before we call it and let you all go back to your holiday. I'm thankful for Mark Few making sweeping mid-game adjustments. This has not always been a strength of Mark Few's. You've seen them go through lulls early in the second half a lot. It's kind of been, I don't want to say a staple of Mark Few, but certainly something that, that has happened. And, I, some of that I, I don't think is necessarily critical of Mark Few. If you have a first half where you did awesome and everything you did was great, what do you tell your guys at halftime? Like what, you know, like how do you have that conversation of like, well, just keep doing that, I guess. And then the other team is of course going to adjust and then you have to adjust to that. But Mark Few, what he's done is we've seen him make pretty, pretty intense, surprisingly forward moves in the middle of games. The, the Michigan State game, the last 11 and a half minutes when Nolan Hickman didn't play, the Zags just ran with a small ball lineup with Julian Strother at the four, Hunter Salas playing the point guard, and they basically just came down the floor and immediately got the ball to Drew Timmy. Didn't matter if he was right under the basket, didn't matter if he was eight feet away, 10 feet away, 18 feet away, 26 feet away, just didn't matter. Just get him the dang ball and let him go to work. That's unusual. 
That's not something Mark Few and the Zags have done historically. It was what was necessary to win this basketball game. They needed to do it to win. There is no, I have no debate about that. The only way they beat Michigan State is if they just got the ball to Drew Timmy as soon as they crossed half court and let him go to work. That was what they needed to do to win. They did it. Against Kentucky, Mark Few thoroughly outcoached John Calipari in the Gonzaga-Kentucky game. I feel I, I will say that happily. And part of it was that Mark Few coached a good game. Part of it was that John Calipari, in my estimation, coached a pretty bad game and seemed to do a lot of things that played into Gonzaga's strengths rather than trying to attack their weaknesses. Uh, and he had just had a 40-minute game uh, against Texas to be able to watch to kind of look at how to attack Gonzaga's weaknesses. But but Mark Few coached a good game there. They made some, some smart decisions uh, at times, just allowing Drew Timmy or Anton Watson to bring the ball up the court uh, was, again, unique and unusual. But putting the basketball on your best player's hands and letting him go to work again, not always something Gonzaga has necessarily done. And they, they saw the, they recognized that it was the right thing to do here. I don't think Mark few coached a particularly good game against Texas, but I also just think Texas just, they just ran him out of the gym. 19% three point shooting team knocks down 13 in that game. Just one of those things that happens. I've been thankful for seeing Mark few kind of get out of his comfort zone and do things a little bit differently this season, because I think that that's, that that makes watching college basketball and even watching the same team year in and year out a little bit more fun. And finally, to close out the show, I'm thankful for Locked On Zags listeners. I know it's cheesy, but I don't care. I'm feeling a little cheesy right now. And for me to be able to have done this podcast for now over a year, close to 14 months now that we've been doing Locked On Zags, it started in early October of last season, uh, to be at the in the place that I am now where I am able to monetize the YouTube channel, I'm able to do the Locked On College Basketball podcast, I, I, I don't get those opportunities without you all listening to this podcast. And I, I want you to know, I think about that every single day. I'm aware of that. Uh, and your patronage, your listening, your comments on YouTube, your comments on Twitter, your direct messages, your emails, all of that. I take that. It means a lot to me. I try to take my time to respond to all of them. I know that I don't get to all of them and I apologize for that, but it's something that means a lot to me to be able to interact with folks talk about this basketball program that I just love more than anything uh, and get to do it on a daily basis. These best 30 minutes of my day. I've said that in the past. I will say it again, uh, getting the chance to record these podcasts for you all. And you listening has, has enriched my life in a way that is, is hard to quantify. And I, I just want to say thank you to all of you for that. All right. That is going to do it for me today. Enjoy the holiday. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the weekend. Of course, don't forget to check out the new Locked On College Basketball podcast with myself and co-host Isaac Shade talking college hoops five times a week available wherever you get podcasts available on YouTube as well. Happy Thanksgiving and go Zags.